0: Uh, uh, I want to thank everybody for coming. (coughs) Uh, Tonight, really a very special occasion. It's uh, Rabbeinu Moshe Chaim Ritzato's (coughs) Yurzeit. And um, he was nifted a long time ago, (coughs) 1747. He was a very unusual person, very unusual. (coughs) He's obviously one of the greatest in the last 500 years. He's one of the greatest gedolim. Uh, of 500 years. He, he left an incredible impression uh, on people with so many of his farm. <coughs> he was what's called a prolific author. He wrote a tremendous amount. Even though he, he died, he was only 40 years old. But what was astounding about Ramchal <coughs> is he wrote in so many different areas that most people, you know, some people, they specialize in msak, haloha, they specialize in nagadato, uh, or pilpul, or whatever, and so on, you know. <coughs> Ramkha wrote books in, of course, we know the most famous is Masinat Tzisharim, Musar, Hashkofer, uh, Musar, which is really about the Avodah, how to serve the Rabbanu Shalom, how to serve God. But he wrote uh, Svarim books in uh, Hashkofa, Jewish thought. He wrote it in um, books on Kabbalah. It was a phenomenal Macubal. Um The, the says has said many, many things about him but the, uh, one of the most famous, and we know who the Vilna Goyim was, um, he's probably as great as Rishonim, by his own words. But he said that if the Ramchal was alive, because the Ramchal had been nift already, uh, he would walk to Padua by foot to learn. Now the, this is the Vilna Goyim speaking, you know. Um, so you, could you imagine who the Ramchal was? <clears throat> but he wrote books also on logic, Sefi Goin on Derek methodology of how to learn, Derek Tfunas. He wrote plays, Maise which are R.P. Are, uh which are fascinating. And he wrote, um, besides the plays, he wrote um, a second zohar. Uh, a lot of it is missing. He wrote a thousand page commentary on Kohelas. He wrote um, uh, poems, taktu It's astounding what area he was able to Master. And he only lived 40 years. Uh, they said by the time he was 40, 14 years old, he was a bucky in the Kiswiari. Um, you imagine one year after Bar Mitzvah? He was already a bucky in Kiswiari. Uh, he had Gilil Yohu when he was 20. It's quite young for Gilil Yohu, I must say. Uh, but he had Gilil Yohu. I mean, he wrote his where you see clearly he had Gilil Yohu. Uh, he also was famous because he had a Magid. Uh, the Bessir Yosef had a Maggit. It's an angel that talks to you through your own um, voice, he uses your voice, and he talks to you through that. He had a Maggit, and he wrote Svarim, uh based on the, what the Maggit told him. Tikunim chadoshim, and so on. Uh, so he was a phenomenal person, uh, the Ramchal. So it's a very big cover to, um, to, or, to offer a yotzite uh, for the Ramchal. Uh, I've been doing a yodzite for Ramchal every year since 1983. This is a f- 35th yodzite that I've done publicly. And it's a big schos. I consider him to be uh, my major rebbe, what can I say? Uh, some people do it with Breslev, uh, I do it with Ramchal. Uh, but he was uh, just an incredible person. Um, and it's funny uh, that, that, that he, writes, he writes in one of his egress, his letters that uh, in his day he was persecuted uh, people, uh, for whatever, because they thought he was part of the Shatz clan. Of course, it wasn't. The whole thing was, a, as they call it, a bilbil. It was a lie uh, to stop the people jealous of him, so on. But he once, he wrote, writes one of his egos that, that Elio told him that uh, his works will become very, very famous so if, uh, near the Mashiach's coming. So that's actually one of the Saman of Mashiach. That his works are now accepted; they, they're known all over. And who doesn't learn Ramchal today, Bidar Hashem, or the Messiah Sham or whatever? So we're talking about a very great person. <coughs> um, I, I can elaborate which, about him because he, he has a—it's a fascinating biography about who he was and what his influence was, and um <coughs> what, what is interesting, which is to note that he's accepted by all segments of Judaism what do i mean the the, the frum the religious Jewi- uh, J- jewish world of course Rabbi shai of course they accept him but he's also accepted by the reform the conservative he he was accepted by the maskilim because he was the one who who reinstated hebrew as a language of literature it's interesting so they they call him the father of of um, Hebrew literature, because he used Hebrew, he had a beautiful c- command of the Hebrew language. And he used that to write plays and poetry and, and so on. Uh, so he was accepted by, by, by them, by the maskelem, by the religious, by everybody. It's interesting that uh, he should be accepted by so many people. In any case, uh, so this is a Yotzai dedicated to him. And um, what I'd like to do is give a shir since we're very close to Shavuos on the premise of Torah what Torah really is uh, Torah is obviously something that we are so used to but um, a lot of people don't realize why it's so great I mean we know it's great because the Chazal talk about, especially to learn Torah is greater than all things, but why? what in Torah is so great? that's the question, and I'd like to give a share on this, on today because we're Obviously, a week away from Shavuos. Ramchal also died today. Is Yisoid Shavi Yisoid. is the foundation of the foundation. He's even the foundation needs a foundation, right? And that really reflects beautifully the whole concept of the Ramchal, Ramushchal because he always dealt. Everything he looked at was always uh, primus. Was always what are the fundamental concepts in any given chokhmah. And then he built on that into a beautiful structure. And therefore, it's very interesting that he should be Nifta. He should pass away on that, uh, uh, y- y- that sphere that we count. He said should be said. <clears throat> so we could begin by asking, what exactly is Torah? Now, there are many different levels of understanding, obviously. And there are many different what's called facets or dimensions to the Torah. And I'd like to dwell on uh, several of them, Uh, you know, of course, time will allow. Uh, That tells me that I have to stop at 12 (laughs) o'clock. So the question is, what is Torah really? Okay, let's take a look at one level, start from the beginning. Uh, Some of the ideas will be familiar to some people, but it doesn't make a difference. It's always good to hear it again. Uh, There's a famous Midrash that says, that God looked into the Torah and He created the entire creation, which obviously clearly tells us that what the Torah really is, is a blueprint. When you look into something and you create a whole building, clearly what you're looking at is a blueprint. Okay, it's a blueprint. What it really is also, it's an architectural plan. You know, it's like you build a building, there's an architect, right? And in that plan is every single thing in that building. The same idea, that the Torah, this medrash, really is a totality of the creation itself. It has everything in it. Uh, It's what's called a totality of reality. That's really what it is. And that's what it means in Pirkei Obis, we have a famous statement called ha Turn it this way, turn it that way, everything is in it. And that's not an, an exaggeration, that's true. What he was saying that everything is contained in the Torah, because that is the blueprint of the entire creation. So that's really a very important concept. But we can ask, what do you mean everything is in the Torah? That's impossible. Why? Because the Torah only has a certain amount of words, it's finite, right? Uh, whatever it is, there's a certain amount of words, a certain amount of senses, right? You have any idea how much information is contained in the world? You know, just walk into a medical library. It would take 10,000 years good to, to read every book in that medical library. Forget about physics and chemistry and biology and every, all the other chokmas. you know? It, it, to, information today borders on the infinite. It's relatively infinite. So in order for the Torah to have everything, it would have to be millions of volumes, but it's not. It's really a small amount, if you think about it. So what do Chazal mean? How could the Torah have everything in it? And the answer to that is because the Torah is an interesting t- type of document. What it does is you could look at it different ways, you see. The Torah has what's called different ideas. It has a narrative. Okay, so you can read it from the beginning. Gracious Lekim. That's one way of reading the entire Torah. It's called reading it forward. But that's called Avgad, Alev Beis Gimbal Or you can read it backwards. That's called Tashra. You, you can read the exact sentence backwards. And in many ways it will make sense. We don't do that, you know. Um, but, you, but you can read the Torah backwards and it would reveal many things. Besides those two ways uh, in which the Torah can be read, the Torah is filled with what's called gematria, numerical equivalents. And the amount of numerical equivalents, or uh, what they add up to, as we know each Hebrew letter has a value. And if you add a word up, it it totals a certain value. So could you imagine uh, how many many, um, gematrias there are? How many numerical equivalents for each word there are in the Torah? And the equivalencies between this word and that word And so on Who knows Then we have the concept called Notaricum Notaricum is is basically uh, It's where you have one letter That really stands for an entire word You see So the term is filled with Notaricum uh, Which means uh, uh, You know Each letter can stand for an entire word You know A famous Um uh, f- one of the famous ones is where somebody went over to um, to the Vilna Goyen and said, it says that everything, it says that everything is contained in the Torah. So he said, uh, everything is contained in the first word, bracious So he said, well, let me ask something. Where's have been in the first word? You know? And the Vilna Goyen without batting an eyelash. He said, well, Bereshis, Bez, Reish, Aleph, Shin Tov, reads Ben Rishon, right? It's the first letter of each word. Ben Rishon, Acha Shloishim Yoim, Tifteh. That, that, that was an astounding Nodorikim, you see. So the Bereshus itself has everything in the Torah, which is amazing. In any case, Uh, So therefore you have that way then you have what's called skip codes, which the became famous in the last 20 years Where you take a letter and then you skip a certain amount a constant Let's say every 20 every 20 letters and it actually spells out words So what we begin to see and then there's what's called reciprocal Every letter has the reciprocal for instance the reciprocal of an olive is a tough the exact uh, other end of the alphabet so a computer can do this. You could take the entire Torah and put its reciprocal in it and it'll be a different Torah altogether with a whole different new set of information. So therefore, and this is, just, this is only a small part. So clearly then, the Torah can be read in so many different ways and what Chazal tells us is that everything that was ever created is in the Torah in, in its v- in very numerous ways. Of interpretation and that's really why it says if one letter is missing in the Torah then it's possible and it makes obvious sense because if the Torah is a document that contains every single thing then if one letter is missing it means that there's something missing in the creation in that document so therefore that Torah is possible you see but in any case so this is what we begin to see that Torah at that level is the total total description of everything that God created. But I want to point out something, and this is a mistake that people make. The Torah is not everything that God did at all. We don't know what the Bershom did, but what the Bershom did is he created a bubble, so to speak, and in that bubble is the entire creation. But as far as the rabbi is concerned he could have created an infinite amount of different realities bubbles each one having a whole different reality that in no way duplicates any other reality there could be an infinite amount of bubbles realities maybe he did we don't know he never told us but the Torah is a description of only one bubble But it could be that if there are an infinite amount of different realities, any reality never duplicating anything in another reality, which is beyond comprehension, right? Then each one would have its own Torah, wouldn't it? You see? So remember, the Torah is a complete description of this type of reality, this bubble, what we have, what we know of. It is not a description of the total acts of the Vanshlam. Important idea, because some people think that this is everything the Rav Hashanah did. That is not true. In any case, so we now understand one level of the Torah. That it is a document, a text, that in some way describes the totality of everything that the did. That's one idea. <coughs> a second idea <coughs> is that the Rav Hashanah in order to make this creation, he did a certain amount of actions. There's a certain uh, amount of actions that the did. How does the Bronstam do things, really? He doesn't <coughs> interact with the Bria directly. What he does is he emits forces. There are spiritual forces that he emits. and uh, the Kabbalah talks about them that they are called Spheres, 10 in number and what a Sphere basically is although we really have no idea what it is what type of an entity is what a sphere is is that it is a spiritual force that actually creates realities it's a creative force and the Russian emits them so to speak and there are basically 10 but it's not just that there are 10 there are tremendous amount of combinations that they can go in. You can have number one uniting with number eight, right? Then you can have one uniting with number eight and number six, and so on. In fact, you can figure out mathematically what it is. 20, you know, there's ten spheres. How many different kinds of com- combinations and permutations are possible? Who we, we can't even guess, and so on. So therefore, the total act, so therefore, the Ravonsham does actions, and what these actions are nothing more really than these spiritual forces called spheres, as and they can create realities. And it's them and their combinations and so on that creates everything. Now, the interesting thing about it is that each action, which is really a sphere or a combination that does the action, each one of these actions has a name, that's right. Each action that the Rosham did has a name to it, you see. Therefore, the total amount of names really is the total amount of actions that the Rosham did. What did the Rosham do? He took all the acts that he did, which is the totality of all the different acts of the spheres, because that's how he does it. Each one has a name And what did he do with those names, which is all his actions? He created a, a, a Torah. The Torah really is a document, like I said, that it reflects total reality. But total reality is really the total amount of acts that God did. It comes out that all the things he did have a name, and the Torah, therefore, every word is nothing more than a name for some action that the Bansham did. It's a different way of looking at it. It's a different way of looking at it, a deeper way of looking at it. And really when you think about, in other words, when we learn the Torah, right, what we're really learning is the names of God. Because each word reflects a specific name that reflects a specific action that He does. Therefore, what you're really looking at is a, 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 a continuous sequence of the names of God that look like words. I mean, they are words. But really what they are is a series of actions. Who says this? The Ramban. Ramban has a, a, a famous ka- uh, 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 um, Rishon that says that the Torah, Kol the entire Torah is nothing more than the names of God. Now, what is that supposed to mean? You see. But when we understand that every act that he did has a name for it, you see, then the totality. Of Torah has all those names so there are names there are are words that reflect different meanings but the real meaning of each word is a name that reflects a specific action and that's what the Ramban means that the total amount of names is the, the whole Torah and each name is a name of God therefore the entire Torah is nothing more than the names of God that's what the Ramban is saying so he's revealing it at a much deeper level. You see. So that's a very important concept. Now, I'll tell you something interesting. One word reflects a name which stands for an action that the did. But remember, the action that the does is really a combination of spheres, singular or multiple, all acting together. That's what they are. Okay. If that's the case, what about the letters of the Torah? The letter, each word has many letters. Each letter of the Torah reflects a specific combination of spheres acting to create something. When you combine all the letters of a particular word, that is the total amount of actions by the spheres that create an entity. But it's interesting where do you see that the noise so api kabbalah conta kabbalah what it really is is that if you take a look at a letter in the Torah, a letter in the Torah has four different components it's called tamto, timem there's a concept mapah pashto right those are the timem it has the kudus which is the punctuation it has a tag which is a crown, and as an ois, which is a letter. Four components. The tam, they call it in fancy English, the cantillation, because we sing it. It has the nekuda, and there are nine nekudas, whatever, komats, patak and so on. Then it has the tag, the crown, and then it has the ois, the letter itself. All four components. See, we only look at the letters, but there are really four components, basically, to each, letter so all four components which of course includes the, the letter itself reflects a certain type of action and combination of these spiritual forces when you take all the letters of any particular word it's the total amount and that creates whatever that word reflects that creates that entity that the word describes so the hebrew language which is interesting which I think is known is a language, it's a creative language. Language is arbitrary. For instance, this is a table. Why do we call it table? Who decided that? You know what I'm saying? Table is a bunch of sounds. Table. Right? Each sound, we have a letter of an alphabet, so we can write table. But can anybody tell me why we call this table? At all. It's arbitrary. All language is arbitrary. However, Hebrew is not arbitrary, it's absolute. Why? Because the name that reflects a thing contains the oasis and its components, okay? It has the total components or the combinations of these spheres, and therefore that creates the entity itself. So Hebrew really is a creative language. It actually creates the thing itself. What is interesting about this Is a very interesting consequence It's called white magic You can do magic Because you can duplicate the action That the Ramon did If you meditate With a certain type of kavana Intent And you meditate on a word in the Torah Okay Using a certain process Okay And you meditate On the name of an angel I'm not telling you to go home and do this But this is how the Tanoim did it. It's called Shinoi Teva, white magic, as opposed to black magic. But what it is, is that if you meditate on the name of a Malach, and there are many, and you meditate on a specific word, then that Malach is is forced to duplicate the action that that word represents. You see, that's magic. That's the magic of the Torah. That's how people are crea- able to create different things. Why they were able to create a calf every era of Shabbos. Because they knew the word that reflects life. okay? And the world can meditate on that. And they meditated on the Malach that is assigned a job. They were able to create a calf. Short beach shopping. You know? It's, it's, it's for the budget conscious that they use this kind of stuff but that's how they do it you see be- why because every word in the Torah is a specific action of God you see now th- it would be incredible if I can get the Rebbe so to speak to do the action he did in my favor and that's how they do it but the one who has to do it is a Malach that is en- able that's able to get that operation the Shechina to replicate that act And all of a sudden that happens, you see. So it's possible, for instance, to levitate this glass, you see. There's two ways to do it. Either I lift the glass, right? Or I meditate on the name of a malach to do the operation called anti-gravity, you see. And lo and behold, this will rise. I'm not gonna do it now. but you, you see the way it works <clears throat> and this is the result of understanding what a name in the Torah is because it's nothing more it reflects an action of the Rajlam. and each letter ois, the whole word reflects the combination of those divine spiritual forces that do it it's Halachal Maisa what's interesting is Rav Moshe Zakuto. the, the Rebbe of the Ramchal was Rav Shai Basan okay he, uh, it was a one of the Gedolim of Italy. His Rebbe was Binyom Coin, okay, was Binyom HaKoyim. The Rebbe of Binyom coin was Rav Moshe Zakutoy, Tremendous Mekuvel, you see, and he was a Talmud of a Talmud of the Ari, that goes back really pretty far. And that's really the Ramchal is in that line, you see, from whom? Ari, Rav Chaim Batal, and so on Until you get to Moshe Zakuta, Binyam Nakoin, Shai Basan, and Ramchal It goes all the way back to the Ari Okay, so Moshe Zakuta Wrote a sefer Okay, called Shemus Okay And in that sefer It's two volumes, it's an incredible Sefer, it has all the Malachim, and how You can do magic How you can disappear, and appear Somewhere else it's a safer filled with magic. But it's all Kabbalistic. And he wrote it. You can buy it in a store. But I wouldn't fool around with it. Why? I'll tell you why. It's not that it won't work. It will work. And the truth is it'll work even if you're a Roshag. Because it's not a matter of your Tzitkis. That's Ruach Kurdish. It's a matter of mechanics. You know what to do. Bilam was able to do it. That's how he was able to do it, you know. But the problem is Malachim don't like to be pushed. They don't like to be told what to do, you see. And they get very angry. So they look at you and they check out who you are, you see. So if you're a tremendous sadik, no problem. But if you're not a tzaddik and you, f- and you force them to do it because they must act based on your kavanas, they are very angry, they get very annoyed and that's very bad for your health, you see. And uh, in some way they will exact some type of punishment. And there are many stories where people fooled around. It's called, they were Majbiya Malochem. They forswore them. And uh, bad news. I mean, it was really bad news. In fact, there's a very famous story. of the, I don't know, famous, but the story of the Baal Shem, That he was, he and another one, I forgot who, I think it was Odin There was another person. And they both were doing this. They were being uh, uh, intending, meditating. And they were doing this with Malochem and so on. And also the Baal Shem told he to the, I think it was, uh, I forgot the, his name, Odom Baal Shem or something like that. He said, uh oh, we made a mistake. We did the wrong thing. And therefore we cannot go to sleep until daybreak. If you close your eyes and you sleep, you die. That's the punishment, you know? So they had to stay up the whole night and fight the sleep. And right before daybreak, the second person, I forgot who he was. I think it's Odam, Adam, Baal Shem, whatever. For one second, he closed his eyes and he drifted for a second. Finished. Died. It's a story, but you have to be very careful. So, I would certainly recommend you not to do this kind of thing. But what I'm trying to bring out is the incredible concept of what the Torah is. It's not merely words and, and, and so on, you know. It reflects tremendous acts of what the Rav Hashem has done. So that's a second level. That level is called that the Torah is nothing more than a complete description of the acts of God, which is really total reality. Third level of the idea, this is a very important, very important for us, what the Torah is. I had mentioned that the Bansham created what? Reality, and he uses these 10 forces. But what he did was very interesting these forces each one can create together they create realities you see so the first reality they created is called oylem Habo. that's the first thing they created oylem Habo was created first then what happened and in kabbalah it's called a certain Ulum called odom kadmon primordial man that's the name of a world anyway so they created oylem Habo first and then what they did is they diminished their output like a wattage from 1,000 watts to uh, 500 watts. They diminished the output, and as a result of, the, of that, the realities they created was, was tremendously inferior to the higher ones. And what they did is they created many realities, five of them, until they created this reality called the Olem HaGeshe, which is the physical universe. So the physical universe is the fifth reality created by these spheres with a tremendously diminished output. You see. Now, what does the Russian wants? Very interesting. What he wants is a Jew to retransform reality from the lowest level back into ilum habo That's what he wants. It's called Zikuch, to purify. He wants a Jew to be able to take away the physical substance of the world and make it translucent, make it spiritual. So, therefore, reality, what will happen? You'll go from this world back into the second, third, fourth, finally into Ulema Haba. So, we need to take Ulema Haze, which is this world, right, and change it into Ulema Haba. That's called retransformation of the world. That's really the job of a Jew. When he does that, that's called Tikum. because the original world or reality that we knew of is what? Is Ulema Habar. What's the difference in realities? What is the difference in all five? The difference is, to what extent are you massing God? To what extent do you comprehend the yichud, the ultimate oneness of God? That is what differentiates all different five types of reality. So what the Bosh wants you to do is to retransform. But how? And the answer is, you've got to turn on the spheres. You have to get them to, it's like a real stat you know you got to turn them on and get them to pour out more energy and that automatically will retransform reality that's really what the job of a jew is to retransform a physical reality back and back and back into a spiritual reality the greatest one of course being <clears> oilam <throat> habob you see this is what now the question is um how do we see this? So there's a, there's a very uh, 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 old Kabbalistic text called the Bahir written by a great Tanu called Rabbi Nechoni ben Akono who's the greatest makubal Kabbalist among the tanoim in his generation. Very great. And what he did he wrote a say for Bahir and in that safe he says very interesting concept. Remember what I said? That when the version began to create realities through these spheres right? He created the Ulim Habor first. And then he diminished that until we get to this world which is physical, you see. So therefore, what the that's what he did. Now, if I ask you, what is what what which what started Uilum Habo, right? How do we translate Ulam Habo in English? The future world? Correct? If you want to say the future world, how would you say that in Hebrew? Tell me. You wouldn't say oylem because oylem means the world that came you would say oylem the world to come is that not true? yes the way to say the future world is oylem not oylem so the sefer bias is because oylem means the world that came because oylem came first interesting even the words reflect that you see oylem the world that came first Alma Diorsi first, and therefore um, Haba. Uh, so therefore, we have to take this world, right, and retransform it back into the first reality, which is Oyelam Haba. A very, very interesting concept, and so on. And by the way, each reality is called an Oyelam because the word Oyelam comes from the Hebrew word Helem, concealment. Because each world is nothing more than a concealment of the presence of the Rebbein Shalom. And that's why it's called an Oylem, or reality, and so on. In any case, now, what the Rebbein Shalom do, we now understand that the job of a Jew is called Tikkun, to rectify, or correct, or restore, or repair. And what he does is he repairs the Oylem Hazer, he changes it back into Oylem habah, the future world. That's what he does, you see. And he does that, what's called zikuch. He purifies, removes, purif- to purify means to remove the contaminants or the impurities. And he remo- re- removes physicality from this world and it becomes spiritual, you see. So what the Bansham did then did is he assigned each Jew a certain area in creation and said, you need to repair that. You need to repair that. Each individual has his own area of assignment. No two people have the same assignment. Some people have bigger assignments, that's true. Like an of, Yaakov Avino. His assignment was massive. But in the end it was his assignment. Each person has an assignment. You see. And therefore each one has to rectify, to purify their assignment. You see. Now, how do you change your area how do you rectify or repair or purify your area and the answer is mitzvahs the taryag mitzvah is the way to repair it each mitzvah of the taryag, 613 commandments right? each section or mitzvah will repair your assignment is 613 sections so each mitzvah you do will repair one section that's how it works your entire section is 613 you repair one with one mitzvah you see but wouldn't it be incredible if I could do one mitzvah and repair every area to a certain extent instead of repairing one area repair the whole assignment partially but you talk about the whole assignment wouldn't that be incredible is there such a mitzvah and the answer is yes there is such a mitzvah and it's called Torah. When it says Talmud Torah Kinneged Kulam, right? That learning Torah is ways against all other mitzvahs, right? It's as significant as all the other 612. Why? Because when you learn Torah, what happens? Since Torah reflects the totality of reality, you see, it draws from the first sphera, Kesser crown. And that sphere is the root of all the nine below it. And a root can influence the whole tree. The light or the ore of Kesser, the force of the which is called keser the crown, which is the first and greatest of the spheres. okay, that will influence everyone below it. But how do you access that? And the answer is Torah. Torah can access the light the energy of the sphere called Kesser, And because of that, you see, it can repair the entire assignment that you have, partially. But it can work on every area. Whereas every mitzvah can only work on one area. That, learning Torah, can work on every area, which is absolutely astounding. That's why it's connected Kulam. Because no mitzvah can do that. They can only work on one section of your area. Torah, however, because it's a root, it it can bring, it connects to the ore of Keser, that highest sphere, energy, spiritual entity, and therefore it can repair the entire assignment area, which is very, very interesting. You understand? That's what Talmud Torah connected Kulam really is. We understand it much deeper now. You see, because no mitzvah can do what Torah can do. It's unique. And it's obvious. Because each mitzvah is a specific action. But when you learn Torah, Torah is the totality of the whole bria. If that, why? Because it's the ore of keser. It's the light, the energy of a sphere, right? Which is the root of every uh, uh, sphere below it. And the root always can influence the whole tree. Because it's the root. That's why... Talmud Torah is really Kineget kulam, the very important idea. And that's why, you know, when they say, you know, if you're learning Torah, you know, don't do anything else. You don't really, it's not that you don't need anything else, but Torah is so powerful that in many ways it will just take mm-hmm. care of the whole, the whole area, which is, when you think about that, an incredible concept. That's why when somebody learns Torah and he finishes an entire Masekta, or he finishes the whole Shas, he has gone through the totality of reality. Think about that, because that's really what it is. That means, in a certain sense, he has purified all the entire Bria. Now that is not bad. He has purified, at whatever level he is at, the totality of the Bria. So when you make a Siya Manama Sekta, Right? and certainly if you're Messiah Shas, you have had a hand in repairing all reality. Incredible. That's how great Torah is, you see. So that's a very important idea to know. Most people are not aware of the, the, this kind of, uh, of, of concept. So the question remains, but there's a problem. What's the problem? That y- you, you need to learn the Torah to do this. You know, because we don't do all the mitzvahs. But Torah is so powerful, right, that it can do that type of job. So that, yeah, so that's why the Gemara asks, women, so what does a woman do? A woman is not to learn Torah, so then what are they gonna do? They don't have access to that, See, see. So the, the Gemara asks in brachas, how are they Zucha with Torah? They, they don't learn Torah. They don't have the mitzvah of Torah, right? So if that's the case, right, how, what are they going to do? How are they going to repair the totality of the Bria, you see? And you need Torah. Torah is so great that you need to learn Torah. So the Gemara answers because they help their husbands learn, right? And they bring their kids to school. That's right. Because they contribute, so the male Learning Torah, Then that Immediately Affects them And they are Therefore able, able to Plug into Keser, Right And have the Same benefit As their husband But they need To do that So when a mother You know Tells a kid And she gets him To go to the yeshiva And she encourages Her husband to learn Right And not only that You know it's, There's always Something going on Right And the woman Takes over A lot of the burdens she wants her husband to learn then that is the path that the gemara says is how a woman is zuikha to the to what the man does that he can connect to the to the energy of keser and therefore be mesak the entire bria that's what the that's the gemara it would sound therefore that if a woman is not involved either in promoting terror to a kid or to her husband or perhaps to other jews or whatever then she's gonna have a very difficult time. You know, we have, have to understand what that means. But clearly from the Gemara, when the Gemara says, with what are they to it? Well, that sounds like if you don't do it, you're not zeuchah. Okay, you have to understand what, what that means and so on and so forth. So there, there are different ways, but basically the, a woman uh, has to involve herself in some type of uh, assisting Torah to be known. Generally, it's by her kids and her husband. But uh, this is what the uh, what the, uh, the, the, the Gemara says which is very very important now sounds incredible isn't it right you know, look at all the different aspects and dimensions of Tarot right but like I said for us the greatest aspect is that we can tap into the ore the light the energy of the highest sphere of all and repair the entire area of assignment not totally A great deal was every mitzvah can only do one section. Torah takes the whole board, as they say. The whole board, right? And will repair tremendous amounts. So the question is, wait a minute. Okay, sounds incredible, right? But what does it mean to learn Torah? What do I have to do with the Torah to have the Torah do it for me? Good question. Now listen to this. And the Ramchal talks about this okay when it means to learn Torah, what does that mean and and some of the ideas that he says is absolutely startling so here's what the Ramchal says one if a person is learning and he has to relax for a minute right he's got to relax you know his head's banging away because of all the ideas and thoughts needs a 10 minute break right so what does he do goes into his living room or whatever, basement or whatever. He goes to the back and just puts his head down for a minute. Is that learning Torah? Of course not. But that taps into Keser. Why? So the Ramchal brings an incredible, uh, he says, well, how do we see this? Because it says, right? We make the blessing in the morning, the Brocha, right? Lasek to, to engage. So Ramchal says, engage is not learning. You know, as long as you engage. And if you need a rest, that's called you're still engaged in learning. And that is, a, is, is learning Torah. To take a rest from Torah because you want to recharge your batteries, as they say, right? That itself is like learning Torah. I'm not saying it's equal to be, but it already taps into the aura of Kesser, And that's all you need. You see? It's an incredible concept that resting when you learn itself will enable you to tap into that second idea okay is look at the oasis of Torah. that also taps in to the ore of kesa that's why if you have an ali in the Torah, right so many guys after the aliyah you know they're following the barker after you know what they do they stand on the side and they look in the homish don't do that stand next to the guy who just had the Aliyah and look in with him. Because looking at the Oasis taps into that sphere. Interesting. You know. And people don't realize that. So they stand by the side of the Torah. They look in the homish. Chomish is not, you know, the Sefer Torah, the Oasis of the Sefer Torah, by just looking at it is incredible. And of course, the second time you look at it is by Hagba, Right? They lift the Torah and you look at the Oasis. That taps into the sphere of Keser just by looking at the letters. So that's a second concept. Very important to know. Third concept, okay, is if you read Torah without understanding, that also is learning Torah. Because as long as it's dealing with the oasis of the Torah, then that taps into that incredible um, divine energies, uh, Keser and so on. A fourth idea is if you think Torah, even if you're not looking at the Sefer, right? If you're thinking of Torah, that will tap in. And what is important to know is this, and a lot of people don't realize that. If you think about Torah, thinking about Torah is achieving clarity in Torah, because that's really what your objective is. You want to analyze, and you want to synthesize, which means to put together the ideas. And as a result of that, you reach a tremendous havona. The greater the understanding and clarity of the Torah, the greater you have tapped into that sphere. It depends on how well you understand it. So we all start out, well, I don't really understand it well, but the thinking itself already is tapping into that incredible energy. But when you, as you think and it gets clearer and clearer, okay, then all of a sudden the, 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 the neshama can tap into that sphere and has awesome results. So thinking and understanding with tremendous clarity, the greater the clarity, the greater is the, the, uh, the uh, Shefa, the incredible energy that you can pull out of that sphere. That's why it's very important to understand what you're learning, you see. Now, besides that, it depends also on the area. And Ramchal says, different areas of Torah have different poles on that divine energy called Sphere Kesser. And what's the greatest, and this is Ramchal, you can look it up, this is not me, I'm just repeating what he says, right? Because this is not the Derech HaYeshivas. Okay? Ramchal says that to learn what he calls knowledge of God, is the greatest tap you can have. And knowledge of God is Hashkafa and Kabbalah. That's it. That's the top. You learn those ideas about Hashkafa, Kabbalah, but Hashkafa, Derech Hashem and so on, then that information about who God is and his agenda and his divine plan is the greatest connection you can have to Kesser. The next one after that is called Yadis HaMitzvahs which is Yidis Halochas. To learn Gemara, which is really what? Gemara is really, basically, to learn Halacha, the problems that concern itself with Halacha, because that's really what Gemara seeks to do. It's a problem-solving format. That's what a sugi is, you see? But it's about Halacha. That, of course, is Torah, no question about that, but it's not as great as Hashkaf in Kabbalah. This is the Ramchal Shita. It's also the Ari Shita and so on, okay? Um, obviously because to serve God to know God to know God and that's what Hashkof and Kabbalah is is greater than to serve God through halacha now don't get me wrong I'm not saying you know halacha is critical that's the mitzvahs, you know but in the areas of Torah the Ramchal places that as the greatest one of all to know God which is the greatest serving of God that's what he said okay so we have the area also determines how much you pull down and then of course is the amount of terror if you learn a tremendous amount of terror you've pulled more keser to you than if you learn less that's why a masmid has taken enormous amount of uh this power of uh, of, of this particular sphere keser uh, and rectified incredible amounts of of his area the next one is called the amelus Yeah. How much omel are you? How much effort do you put in? It's interesting, you know. If a guy could go to work and he can make a fortune of money and he says, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to learn one seder a day. Then he's giving up a lot of money to learn. That is called self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is amelus. There are many forms of labor, right? Effort. One of them is to give up. Another one is why you're learning itself to really think and to push away all kinds of distractions and so on. You know, ideas which are interesting and so on. Therefore, the, the thing which multiplies enormously the amount of terror that, or the amount of inno- connection that you have to the, the divine forces is amelus. What are you sacrificing? How much labor are you doing? And that's not directly tied to the actual learning. It's what you have to give up to learn, you see. So malus is a key factor in the acquisition of this incredible uh, uh, um, divine energy. And the last one, which is number eight, is your intent. Somebody who learns the Shema is greater in terms of what he can pull down and rectify and repair than somebody who does not learn the Shema. What does lishma mean? Very simple. To learn Torah because I want to do the and HaBoreg. Period. The reason why I'm learning Torah is because I want to know what God wants and I want to do it. Therefore, to know His will, I'm going to learn the Torah. You see, that's lishma. That is greater than if somebody doesn't learn lishma. You see, although it's still very great, don't get me wrong but obviously there's an enormous difference. There you are. I've just given you eight different ideas of what learning to itself, but the common denominator of all this is that they all pull down this incredible force to rectify your whole assigned area, you see, partially, but it'll hit every area that you're, that you're in, which is, uh, uh, it's, which is amazing. There's, there's nothing that's, that's greater than that, you see. Well, the question, how much Torah really is there? I mean, What are we talking about here? You know, uh, one textbook, five textbooks, eight textbooks, what are we really talking about? So there's a very fascinating story of the Ari, which incredibly illustrates how much Torah there really is to know, which tells us a great deal of what's gonna happen in the messianic era. It was, once, it was once on Shabbos. And the Ari was learning Kabbalah. He was learning, this, this brought down, Shivke um, Ari. He was learning with one of his Tamidim, um, you know, in the afternoon. And all of a sudden the Ari closed his eyes and he fell asleep. And all of a sudden the Ari started mumbling. So the Talmud, like he was frightened. Why? He didn't know what to do. You do not want to wake up the Ari. That's clear You know But The Ari's mumbling Is greater Than somebody else's drusha, You know But what was the Ari mumbling? So he figured You know what I'm going to do? So he goes He he, he puts his ear Right next to the mouth of the Ari To hear what he was mumbling You see And he put his ear Next to the Ari's (coughs) mouth While the Ari is sleeping And all of a sudden the Ari got up, woke up, you know, for whatever reason. It was too close or whatever. So the guy was frightened, because he woke up the Ari, you know. So the Ari saw that he was frightened. So the Ari told him, don't worry, it's okay, everything's fine, Al don't worry, you know. So since the Ari was so kindly disposed toward him, he figured a little chutzpah, a little more aggressive. And he asked the Ari, why were you mumbling? What, what was that? I don't believe you were mumbling because you were dreaming or whatever, you know? So the Talmud, so the Ari said, I'll tell you. I didn't fall asleep. What I did is while I was learning, I realized I had to access something. So what I did is I was Mechavan Hashem. I intended, I meditated on a divine name. The Ari could do this. And all of a sudden, I ascended. Not me, but my consciousness ascended to the next world which is called that is the, the that is the first spiritual dimension above this world and I ascended to that realm you know and once I'm there and that by the way is one of the realms that the angels are in there are several of them that's one of them so a malach came over to me remember the Ari is here but it's now his, his consciousness is now ascended so the malach came over to him and said what would you like? There are different shurum going on. Shimba Yechoi is giving a Shia. Rabbi Akiva is giving a Shia. You know, it's like a who's You know, the Tanoim, the Amroim. So he said, um, uh, what, what, What's Rabbi Akiva giving a shir on? So the Malach said, Well, he's giving a Shia on Pasha's bullock. Pasha's bullock. See, so the do said, I, I want to go to that Shia. My man is going to kill a shit from Rabbi Akiva on Pasha's Bolak. So he takes him, puts him in the, whatever they do up there, they sit down, whatever, and so on and so forth. And I heard a Shia from Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva on Pasha's Bolak, right? Fine. So, and the he said, that's where I was. You know, I wasn't. And my mumbling was I was repeating the words of Rabbi Akiva, you see. So the Talmud was like stunned, fascinated. He said, tell me something that Rabbi Akiva said. What does the Torah sound like in that world? What is it? Imagine, tell me something, you know, of what the uh, Rabbi Akiva said. So the Ari said, I want to tell you something. If I had paper in which I could write for 80 years, and I had a pen and ink that I could write 80 years, I couldn't even begin to tell you what Rabbi Akiva told me in the in the in the three s- minutes that I was out. That's what he told the Talmud. You see, what do you learn from that? That you mean we have the Torah, we, we don't have a nanosecond of the Torah. We don't even realize how much there is. Ninety-nine point nine 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 percent is concealed from us. The Rebbelech only revealed to us just a very small amount. You see. And that's what we realized from the Arib, that the Torah in itself has information which is so vast that he could in one uh, let me say something if you wrote down all the Mephoshim on Pasha's Bolak so what would you do you'd fill up just on Pasha's, you'd fill up you'd, you'd fill up a volume correct? That's all 80 years to write what Rabbi Akiva was saying in that what? in that one in that three minutes? We have no concept that's what you see from the Arim. And the truth is, what the Ari said is a medrash. It's an astounding medrash that's very difficult to understand. And it has awesome repercussions. What is that medrash? It's a medrash rabba at the end of Koelis, And the medrash rabba says the following. That the entire Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. What is that? Bavli, Yushami, Shadus and Chuvas, Right? Medrash. Every commentary ever written, the whole thing is hundreds of thousands of volumes. So the mentor says that the whole of Moshe is Hevel compared to the Torah of the Mashiach. What's Hevel? You know what Hevel is? Hevel is luft, air. There's no substance, right? What he's saying, the mentor says that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu is air, it's like a vacuum. Compared to the Torah of the Mashiach. Do you believe what that means? You walk into a farm store. If you looked at all the volumes of Torah ever written, it would be awesome. You know? Yet what that Mejosh says is that that's not even air. It has no substance compared to what the Mashiach will reveal. And then it says in the Mejosh. And the Torah of the Mashiach is nothing compared to the Torah of Ulim Habo. Now... Besides the fact on face value of what that means, is awesome. But there's something else that's shocking. Because wait a minute. The Mashiach is a man. He's a boss of a dumb, Right? And not only is he a man, he's going to come on this earth. We're going to look at him. We're going to see him. Right? He's going to be a, a regular guy. I mean, he's going to be a holy man. Obviously, you know. But he's going to be a boss of a dumb, Right? How in the world can he reveal that which... When you compare it to the Torah of Mashiach, it is zero. Because we're talking about experiencing this knowledge now. Whatever it is, you know, on this earth. So if we can't even masig the Torah of Mashiach, which we can't, it's so huge, how are we going to masig the Torah of the Mashiach? And if we can't even masig the Torah of Mashiach, oedim habo, and that's why oedim ham is infinite you see is the infinite bliss eternally and that's why it's an eternal upward swing you see but from that medrash you see well how much is there to terror take a look awesome we cannot comprehend and that's what it means when it says Kimolo or deo," the earth will be filled not the sky the earth will be filled with the knowledge of god as the waters covers the seabed you know how much water there is in all the seven oceans of the world? It's awesome. Trillions and trillions and trillions of cubic meters. Right? Could you imagine the knowledge of God will be equal to that, at least? Well, what is that supposed to mean? That's beyond belief. And this is going to happen, hopefully, two years, three years, five years, when the Mashiach comes, which is very short, right? So we're going to, we're going to, be, we're going to have access to knowledge that is beyond human comprehension. When we're living here, forget about you see. That's what awaits us. So that's how much Torah there really is, you see. Well, what do we see so far? We begin to see that Torah is not just a document. It's something beyond measure. And when a person learns a Torah, it's absolutely astounding what he brings down. And what it allows him, right, to purify, to repair that which has been the area that has been assigned to him. But let's take a look a little more deeply. We now begin to understand what the Torah is. And I'm now going to show you what's called in English an identicality. That A is equal to B, which is equal to C, which is equal to D. Even though they look different, they're really the same. It's called an identicality. There's a famous Chazal where it says, Kuchibruchu, Torah, right? Chai Yisrael, right? Chadhu, and also so as Eretz Yisrael also. It's one concept. What is that supposed to mean? That's called an identicality. When you have one thing equal to another, you know, that's called an identicality. They're identical. And after everything that's been said, you can now begin to understand what that means. The first thing is the Shekhinah, the divine presence itself. We now realize that the Shekhinah gives rise to the spheres. The spheres is really the Shekhinah manifested to us. That's really what it is. So therefore, The Shekhinah, the divine presence, really is identical to the Spheres, except the Spheres is where, is where the Shekhinah can be manifest to us. We can see it because it is now multiple. You see, but the Spheres really is the total acts of God, which is the Torah. So therefore, the Shekhinah is the Spheres, which is the Torah. Right. So this a kudshibruchu. Shinte, right? And we have the spheres or the Torah is identical. Where do we come in? Because what is the Nishama really? If a sphera can assume a physical expression, it would look like a nishama. You don't realize something. We are the spheres. That comes quite as shocking to people. You are the spheres you are the physical expression of the spheres right in a spiritual form that's really what the neshama is that's why when you learn about the neshama it has the same concepts as the spheres without getting into that and then when you think about it wait a minute there are 613 divisions of the spheres that is why there are 613 mitzvahs in the Torah and that is why an Odom has six hundred and thirteen, right? Chelke, uh, which the Mishnah says, and therefore we have six hundred thirteen commandments, right? Each commandment is one connected chelke of the goof. Do you notice how the six hundred thirteen just flows from one thing to the other? Why? Because they're all identical, so they have the exact same sections, six hundred thirteen. You see, so the totality of the spheres, all ten. The composite of ten spheres has six hundred thirteen sections. You see, but the Torah has six hundred thirteen mitzvahs. But the neshama has six hundred thirteen chalakim, and the physical body has six hundred thirteen evorim. And therefore, the mitzvahs are six hundred thirteen. You see, it's an exact parallel. We don't realize how great the neshama is. The Ramchal says something which is incredible. He says that the neshama, we don't understand what a neshama is, even though that's really us, you see. And he says that if you take a look at the difference between the neshama of a Jew and the neshama or whatever, uh, or let's say an, uh, an animal doesn't have a neshama, but it, the, that it, you cannot even compare the different types of entity. So what an odom is supposed to do is take the 630 mitzvahs, which corresponds to the 613 Eivarim, right? Which the Chafetz Chaim talks about in the Shabbos in the beginning. It's a famous uh, idea. Anyway, and you compare that to the 613 Halakim of the spheres, you see, it's all, all an identicality. That's really who we are. We are really 10 spheres. Each one of us is 10 spheres. Each one of us, you see. And if the spheres could become physical, so to speak, it would be it would look like us in fact we look like it because that's what we are that's why what's the famous chazal what's the famous chazal the neshama is you wonder what that means yeah we are a chilek. why because the whole Israel is 10 spheres and each individual person is 10 spheres we are really a part of the living god that's really what we are, you see. That's why we're a Khelech, because of that incredible concept of identicality, you see. So when you, when you get down to it, you begin to realize, you see, that what the Torah is is the greatest form that can be, uh, that that can exist, and we are identical to the Torah, you see. That's why the Torah really is us, or we is it depending on which way you want to go. You see, we are the Torah. So what we're supposed to do is fix ourselves. Each mitzvah repairs us. It repairs our physical body. It repairs our neshama. It repairs the sepira, which is really who we are. You see? And therefore, we reach what's... When that's, all that is repaired, and that's called zikuch, as I mentioned, purification, right? That's called shlemus. We have perfected ourselves because we have restored ourselves to go back to what we were before we came into this world. We were only in Shamas. You see. A very important idea. And one of the interesting ideas that come out of it is called the Kabbalistic Doctor. If you went to the Ari and you're not feeling well, you see, right? He would he would look at you and he could look at you and tell, well let's see, you know, why aren't you feeling well? because you've done a certain sin and therefore that sin represents a certain organ in your body. But since you've sinned, you sinned, def- you have in some way damaged that organ, which allows that organ to now be contaminated with pathogens, viruses. So the refuah isn't medicine, the refuah is to do tshuva on that sin, which weakened that aver, which allowed that aver to receive tremendous uh forces of evil tumor and that is a disease you see the Ari was a kabbalistic doctor that's how he did it and that's really the whole concept of medicine really a person sins this sin affects whatever ava it represents the body that ava is now deficient in ore and therefore tumor can now enter that ava and therefore, it allows pathogens, viruses and bacteria, to now invade that, you see. And therefore, the person gets sick. But a Kabbalistic doctor, so to speak, if he knows which corresponds to which, which various corresponds and so on, which mitzvah and so on, then he tells the guy, this is the chet, you need do tshuva, and lo and behold, the guy will become cured. The, problem, the whole problem with this, however, is the AMA. The American Medical Association does not like this. You know, you cannot get a license to practice medicine. This kind of medicine from the MA, from the American Medical Association. But the Ari e. would do that, and this is what they used to do. You know, there's a Sefer force. You know, it's not just vegetables and herbs and all that. They know exactly, you know, which mitzvah to do on chu- uh, and so on. So what have I spoken about so far? I've spoken about very important ideas. The many, many different dimensions of Torah this is what I've spoken on you see and um, these ideas so the first thing we learn is the concept that Torah is the totality of reality in this document then the the next concept I I mentioned is that the Torah is nothing more than names that describe the actions of the Bojlam you see and each therefore each word in the Torah is the name of God and that's what the Ramban means you see. Then the concept called that the learning Torah is connected kulam, which means it will tap into the highest sphere and rectify your situation totally in your entire area of assignment. This is what we also saw. Then I brought over the whole concept of what do you have to do? You can be Oysik in Torah and that will do it. You can read the Torah, you can look at the Torah and so on. Anything looking at the Torah is going to repair That's what you have to do. That's how many ways you can actually do it. How much Torah Israel, where you heard the story of the Ari, what there really is to know, which we will know, we will learn in the future, hopefully very shortly. And that itself will be beyond measure. If you want to have a comparison to what that means, imagine you pulled out somebody from New Guinea in in 1953, it was in 1953, They never saw guys, people, the tribes living in New Guinea, never saw white man, and all of a sudden some guy flew in to New Guinea, and they thought he was a god, I mean, you know, and so on and so forth. Now, imagine you pull a guy who lives in 1740, right? I mean, what's in 1740? You take him, put him in a time machine, and move him to 2017, and then put him in the middle of, let's say, uh, Fifth Avenue, Manhattan, I guarantee you he would have a heart attack. He could not in any way assimilate what was going on. I mean, there's guys walking around talking to themselves. You know, we call it cell phones, right? Guys playing with these little, little gadgets. You know, what is it? Like, what, what, what you know? And then guys driving around with cars. Like, what is this? You know, these, this is devil worship. You know what I'm saying? He, he couldn't assimilate this. You see, that's a, 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 what's called a dimmion. The same shock that this man would experience in 2017, is the shock that we would experience when the Mashiach comes. And that is why, and i want to close with this thought, which is something that you have to think about. The most dangerous man in the world, the most dangerous man who ever lived, is the Mashiach. Why? Because we think the Mashiach is going to come, he's going to come riding on his white horse, or, or maybe driving up in his Cadillac, whatever he's going to come in, right? So we think he's going to arrive, it's, so, you know, okay, what's the big deal? The Mashiach is going to come with an oar, a light, a force, that is beyond comprehension. What's going to happen to us? Everybody will die. Because you cannot be so evil that Kedusha. It's the exact same thing that happened by Mount Torah. Remember? God revealed the first two mitzvahs. Anoich Ha'ashem Elokecha, Lo Yeshia, any gods before you, right? The first two mitzvahs in the Torah was given by God to the Jews. Not by Moshe, but by the Moshe. The problem was that the Kedusha was so incredible, everybody died. Why? Because the rule is, if you cannot be civil, if you cannot bear that holiness, you will die. That's simple as that, you see? So that's what happened. Now, what was the level of revelation that the Barashim gave them at that point? And the answer is, that was the revelation Or the level was the revelation of the O Mashiach. That's all it was. And they all died. You see. Now, imagine. Skip forward 3,300 years. Mashiach comes. You look at him, right? Looks like an ordinary guy. And outpours from his mouth an ore that's beyond comprehension. And it's not ideas. It goes straight into your moyach, into your heart, right? And it lifts you. But you cannot take that. You see and you die therefore the most dangerous man is the mashiach because he's going to kill everybody therefore what the bosom has to do and i believe it's going to happen soon he has to raise the consciousness and prepare the jews for the entry of this man and this Torah, or else he'll kill the whole planet and therefore we see that by mountain Torah, right it took one year to prepare Klai Israel, the Jewish people in Egypt One year They saw the makkas But each makkah wasn't just a physical plague It was an incredible perception Of some aspect of the might of God It was ruchniah's spirituality and, that, and they had that for one year That's how long the makkas were, right? And then they had what? Kriya we Where an Omer Evria, A maid servant So more than Yeches Novi With the Maizim HaKovah which is the whole fundamental idea of Kabbalah. She saw more, right? Then you had the 49 days of Ahana. And finally they stood at HaSinai and they all died. Can you imagine what that is? How much preparation you need? Therefore, you cannot have a Mashiach come because he will kill everybody. The Bosham has to be making Klai Israel. He has to prepare Klai Israel with an incredible rise in consciousness of Torah. now we don't know how that's going to be but it has to be because nobody can take that type of terror which is what people forget it's not a matter of a man arriving it's a man of a man arriving and revealing an ore, a light a consciousness that is beyond comprehension you see and i believe that hopefully shortly that will happen where something will happen where the consciousness of jews will rise Jews will do tshuva, however it happens miraculously, because they have to rise in order to be able to receive the whole concept of this or, And it has to happen soon, you see. In any case, and remember, that which the Mashiach reveals is the Torah at the level of the Ur Mashiach. It's the same Torah, except it's, it's the same Torah, but it's enormously expanded to see everything. Let's hope that he's going to come very shortly. And that this rise in consciousness is going to happen really very shortly. Uh, and as a result of that, we will be zoiched to see something which the Kanoim and the Amoroyim and the Ovis and the neviim the they can only dream about, right? They can only dream about this, right? But uh, let's hope that we're Zoich to actually see it and be ready and be prepared and to really be able to uh, uh, be prepared actually to receive the the, the entire redemption, the entire redemption process. Let's hope it happens this year. Thank you.